Hello, Dr. Dan Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry, coming to you on the 8th of September, 2019, from the beautiful Inland Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm going to get started right away here because what we're doing is a little bit of a summary lecture on how fatty acids are metabolized into the eicosanoids. Now, if you've been following along my discussion of these omega-3 fatty acids and how it, they can be major components in an anti-inflammatory response at the local uh, prostanoid level, then you know why I'm going to be talking about some of the details of the biochemical pathways of how those very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids of the omega-3, and also for comparison today, the omega-6 fatty acids are oxygenated and then metabolized into a whole host of compounds, which basically act as local hormones. And it's all coming from a, uh, a parent compound known as prostanoic acid. So let's just get started. Recall that there are short-chain fatty acids that are produced from fatty acid synthesis, and those and they are saturated initially, palmitate and stearate. So stearate is uh, C18 colon O, that is 18 carbons, no double bonds. That meets up with a delta-90 saturase, making a delta-9 fatty acid known as oleic acid, which is 18 colon 1, 18 carbons, one double bond. Then, depending on what organism it is, and here you can think about microbes and plants, there are desaturases such as the delta-12, which makes linoleic acid, which becomes an essential fatty acid in the human diet. That's an omega-6 fatty acid, and that's a delta-9-12. That's where the double bonds are. 18-colon-2. That's a linoleic acid. Now, that fatty acid can be metabolized by a delta-15 desaturase to make the other essential fatty acid in the human diet, which is an omega-3, and that's alpha-linolenic acid also known as ALA. And the structure for that is delta 9, 12, 15, 18, colon, 3. 9, 12, 15 is where the double bonds are. They're all cis. 18 carbon fatty acids with three double bonds. Now that can be further desaturated to delta 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, colon, 4. And that's stereodonic acid. So that's one way that you can metabolize that omega-3 fatty acid. And then it can be elongated to a 20 colon 4 isomer, which is 8, 11, 14, 17, again an omega-3. And then finally, a delta-5 desaturase making icosapentanoic acid, which is, of course, the fish oil polyunsaturated omega-3 fatty acid, or known as EPA, icosapentanoic. And the structure of that is delta 5, 8, 11, 14, 17, 20, colon 5. Now, that fatty acid can ultimately be metabolized. Um, and it, that means it gets further desaturated, then it gets elongated, then it gets cut back. And it's turned into DHA, the other fish oil fatty acid. And that DHA, docosahexanoic acid, is delta 4, 7, 10, 13, 16, 19, 22 colon 6, still with the omega 3 
signature. Now, linoleic acid can be desaturated to delta 6912, 18 colon 3, known as gamma linolenic acid. Then it can be elongated to dihomo gamma linolenic acid, which is 81114, 20 colon 3. And finally, meet up with the delta 5 desaturase, making arachidonic acid, which is the standard polyunsaturated omega-6 fatty acid in humans you find in phospholipids, which can then make the entire series of eicosanoids. Anyways, arachidonic acid, remember, is delta 5, 8, 11, 14, 20, colon, 4. So those are desaturation elongation reactions. Those are all membrane-associated reactions, like, for example, in the endoplasmic reticulum, um, and then fatty acids are never made as free fatty acids and usually not even as coethioesters, but usually on the backbone of glycerol lipids and sometimes even schwingo lipids. So that's fine. We got to that point now where you understand where all the desaturation occurs. Now, your standard prostaglandins have names like PGA1, PGA2, PGE1, E2, and PGF1-alpha, and PGF2-alpha. And each of those fatty acids are going to be oxygenated metabolites of the omega-6 fatty acid 20 colon 4, okay, also known as arachidonic acid, okay? So those are going to have structures that are going to be either ketone on carbon 9, or they're going to be hydroxylated on carbon 11. And there's going, to, there's going to be dihydroxylation on either the 9 or 11 carbon on the prostanoic acid backbone. And that's pretty much what you get is ketones and hydroxyl groups added to that terminal ring structure on arachidonate on, or on uh, if you think about prostanoic acid as the parent compound. Now, prostanoic acid then the number one carbon, of course, is the car carbonyl or carboxylic acid. And then going from there, you go from to the final ring, which is basically the 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 carbons. And that's where most of the substitutions are going to be occurring during the oxygenation. Then you have a 13, 14, 15, all the way back to the methyl terminus, which is carbon 20, right? That's the structure basically of prostanoic acid. Now, when you start off with dihomo gamma linolenic acid, remember that's 81114, okay? And again, it's an omega-6 fatty acid because it's got the last double bond and the six carbons away, so the last one's 14. That's going to be the precursor, okay? And what you can do with that is you can now start adding oxygen um, with the various cyclooxygenase enzymes. So, you, again, you're adding oxygen to the 9 and to the 11 carbon on that prosthenoic acid ring structure at the end, that fused ring structure at the end. And basically, that's how you make all those um, PG1, PGF1-alpha, PGE2, PGF2-alpha, etc. All those prostaglandins are building on oxygen on those backbones. And ultimately, you can even get desaturated uh, ring structure there, uh, which is finally then oxygenated one more time um, to make those final uh, products of PGE3 and PGF2-alpha and 3-alpha. 
All right, so that's that's not hard to understand, I don't think. So arachidonic acid, the PGG2, takes two moles of molecular oxygen, and you're putting, again, the, uh, an oxygen molecule, an oxygen atom on carbon-8 and carbon-11. And you're also adding, adding a perhydroxy radical uh, residue on carbon-15. So that's how you make PGG2, which is a pretty important prostaglandin precursor. Um, once you make PGG2, you're then going to reduce it with glutathione. And so that's two GSHs, two GSSG, the oxidized form. And you're also going to remove water in that reaction. That's going to give you PGH2, prostaglandin. And there you're left with a hydroxyl group on carbon 15. And you're left with an oxygen on carbon 9 and carbon 11. Okay, so that's PGH2. I'm moving pretty fast here, but I'm not showing you structures because this is audio. But hopefully you're following along. So arachidonic acid to PGH2. PGH2 can then be metabolized to prostaglandin I2, also known as prostacyclin. Prostacyclin is also known as an anti-inflammatory acosinoid. Now that has... You're starting to build a, another ring structure on top of that terminal ring structure by adding an oxygen bridge uh, on carbons uh, 7 to 9. And so that's prostaglandin I2. But you can also take prostaglandin H2 and make the F2-alpha, which is hydroxylated on the 9 carbon and the 11 carbon. Or you can take prostaglandin H2 and make prostaglandin E2, which is a ketone function on the 9, hydroxyl on the 11. And then prostaglandin H2 can be converted also to prostaglandin D2, where you have a, um, a hydroxyl group now on the uh, 9 carbon and the ketone function on the 11, so it flips. Okay, so we're moving along pretty fast here. So PGH2 can also make thromboxanes which are very strong vasoconstricting eicosanoids. And thromboxanes are byproducts of omega-6 fatty acid metabolism, arachidonic acid metabolism, that are often associated with ischemic heart attacks. So these thromboxanes like TXA2 and TXB2, again, are cyclooxygenase products, where you're adding oxygen across that ring structure between carbons 9 and 10 to make TXA2. And then you're uh, ultimately adding water to make both of those, uh, to, to make those two carbons now have hydroxyl groups. So then you end up with a hydroxyl group on carbon 9 and a hydroxyl group on carbon 11, and that's TBX2, okay? So where you start off with all of this is a phospholipid, phospholipase A2, which is usually mediated by some kind of stress or some kind of damage to a membrane. Um, will then make a, will release arachidonic acid from the two position of the glycerol phospholipid. That, if that reaction, phospholipase A2, is actually inhibited by anti-inflammatory steroids. So once you make arachidonic acid then, and you carry out that cyclooxygenase reaction to make all those prostaglandins, you know the cyclooxygenase enzyme and all of its various iterations is inhibited by aspirin and phenylbutazone, and indomethacin. And those are all your anti-inflammatory, non-steroidal compounds, right? You all, all know about aspirin. 
So again, arachidonic acid now, we just talked about cyclooxygenase, can be also metabolized by the LOX pathway, also known as lipoxygenase. Uh, so you can make, uh, as a, one of the initial precursors, the 5 hydroperoxy eicosatetraenoic acids, or for short, the HPETEs. And those are all going to be precursors to the hydroxy eicosatetraenoic acids. Rather than the hydroperoxy, you're going to end up with hydroxy eicosatetraenoic acids. Those are known as HETEs or HETEs. So you can have a 5-lipoxygenase, a 12-lipoxygenase, or 15-lipoxygenase. And that's counting which carbon atom you start adding molecular oxygen to. And so then you get the 5 series of HBETs and the 5 series of HETEs, 12 series of HBETEs, and the 12 series of HETEs, and finally the 15 from the 15-lipoxygenase to the 15 HPETEs and the 15 HETEs. And so that gives you the lipoxygenase products. And those are going to have different types of local autocoid hormone activity than the cyclooxygenase products do. Uh, some of them are going to be pro-inflammatory. Some of them are going to be key features in regulating co-transcriptionally the expression of genes that can induce or hinder inflammation depending on the tissue type. So... From 5-HPETE, though, there's another very important set of reactions where you start adding glutathione, reduced glutathione. And that, that's when you make the peptidoleukotrienes. So you start off with the parent compound LTB4, which comes, again, these are, these are uh, cyclooxygenase products, coming off of adding oxygen to the five and six carbon of five HPETE after a five lipoxygenase reaction. And then you add water across that. So you make that a hydroxyl and carbon five. And you push the double bonds between uh, six and seven and eight and nine and nine and 10. So you're getting conjugated trienoic systems there. That's what LTB4 has the feature of. Then you start adding uh, glutathione. You add reduced glutathione to the six carbon. Now that's going to be a thio. Um, uh, it's going to be bound by a sulfur atom directly to a methylene group, which is then going to be part of the glutathione backbone. So LTC4 is the first peptidoleukodriene. It's called peptido because it has a tripeptide glutathione. Okay. Now these are very, very potent vasoconstricting compounds, these peptidoleukotrienes, they're the ones that can actually be associated with asthmatic shock. They actually kill you if there's high enough concentration. Now, from the LTC4, which is the full glutathionylated um, lipoxygenase product, LTC4 is the leukotriene C4, you, you can pass water over one of those peptide bonds and you can get rid of glutamate. Then you have LTD4 leukotriene, and then ultimately you can add another, you can hydrolyze glycine away, and all you're left with there is LTE4, which is basically just cysteineal leukotriene, okay? Rather than glycyl uh, cysteineal uh, leukotriene, which is LTD4, or the complete glutamyl glycyl cysteineal, or the tripeptide glutathione LTC4. 
and all that's coming down off again that C5 carbon on the leukotriene C4 precursor after you've done the lipoxygenase reaction. So those are very potent peptidoleukotrienes, some of the most potent vasoconstricting uh, compounds known to man. They function actually at, at something like 10 to the minus 15th molar in certain sensitive tissue types. Okay, so those those are part of the asthma, uh, those are part of toxic shock of asthma, of the asthmatic uh, asthmatic shock system. <clears throat> okay. So again, you can start off with 15 HPET, 5 epoxinase is making 5, 6 epoxy, 5 hydroxy ETE. This is on the way to make lipoxin, which is LXA4, which basically is a reduction of that. So these are 5 epoxinase products again, and now you're making the so-called lipoxins. So I just told you how you make that from the epoxy intermediate. From that same epoxy intermediate, 5, 6 epoxy, 15 hydroxy ETE, as icosatetraenoic acid, um, then you can uh, do that reduction. You can make LXB4, and that is hydroxylated now uh, on the, on let's see, on the seven carbon, and you have two more hydroxyl groups on the 16 and 15 carbons. Okay, Those are the lipoxins. These are all coming from omega-6 fatty acids, mind you. Now, you can also have... Um, Move on here. Yeah, you can also take icosapentaenoic acid. Okay, now that's your common omega three fatty acid from fish oil. Remember, that's twenty colon five delta five eight eleven fourteen seventeen. So the carbon that's the last one that has a double bond is the seventeen carbon. Okay, and that makes it an omega-3 because it's a 20-carbon fatty acid, so three carbons away from the omega or methyl terminus. So you start off with icosapentaenoic acid, and you can make your prostaglandins PGE3 and PGF3-alpha. And those are going to be hydroxylated again on the 9 and the 11 carbon, but you're going to have an unusual structure down there on the C15 carbon where you're going to have hydroxyl and a hydrogen atom. And you're going to have a bridging hydrogen atom on carbons 8 and 12. Now, these, again, are going to be icosapentaenoic acid derivatives. So these prostaglandins tend to work counter to the prostaglandins, the, the E2 family that's coming from the omega-6 fatty acid metabolism. So remember that, the PGE2 and the PGF2-alpha PGF1-alpha and PGE1, all that's coming down from the omega-6 fatty acid series. Once you start using omega-3 fatty acid, you make different products. And they can act con contradictory to the omega-6 uh, icosanoids in terms of binding to receptors and, uh, and often reducing inflammation rather than enhancing it. Now, you remember the paper we were talking about Molecular Nutrition and Food Research, which was first published in March of 2019. And I was telling you that that paper showed that omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids actually inhibited the production of the cytokine 17 colon A, right? Remember when I told you that? Um, or 17A, no colon there. So interleukin 17A, I've been saying colon because we're talking about fatty acids. Now we're talking about 
cytokines. And I'm telling you from the paper that was published, I just gave you the reference to it, that omega-3 fatty acids were used to inhibit the cytokine 17A, right? And uh, that worked through. So the secretion of that uh, highly um, pro-inflammatory promoting cytokine IL-17A, which often comes from Th17 cells, um, that gets that gets decreased. The secretion of the act gets decreased by omega-3 fatty acids because it works through the ICAM pathway. Remember that is the uh, adhesion molecule, right? So it works through a decrease in ICAM-1 expression in T cells that were co-cultured with adipose-derived stem cells. Remember, those were the A, uh, uh, S, A, D, S, Cs that we were talking about before, which had been harvested from adipose tissue of obese people. Okay, so omega-3 fatty acids can reduce the Th17 response via ICAM when you co-culture adipose-derived stem cells with adipose tissue, adipocytes that come from obese people. And so we showed that um, alpha-linolenic acid like eicosapentaenoic and docosahexaenoic, that was going to be desaturation elongation products, all inhibit the obese adipose-derived stem cell-mediated IL-17 secretion. And that's what, so the data showed that clearly in that paper. So now you understand what where those um, long, very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids are working to diminish the pro-inflammatory response by decreasing the pro-inflammatory cytokine, IL-17A, which comes from the TH17 fraction of the pro-inflammatory T cell, T lymphocytes. Okay. So that's where I'm getting at now. So I wanted to give you all that fatty acid background. Now, what is the actual omega-3 fatty acid metabolite that's doing that wasn't described in this paper, but I want you to realize that it could be those, um, uh, the, the either lipoxygenase products or cyclooxygenase products of the E3 series. Okay. The ones I just explained to you. So obviously the omega-3 fatty acids, I told you they can have contradictory omega-6. They seem to be working by reacting or binding to receptors and mediating different transcriptional, translational, and mediating metabolic responses that act contradictory to, or perhaps sometimes contrary to, the omega-6 fatty acid metabolites. So that's the key feature I'm trying to tell you. And more data from that paper, the alpha-linolenic acid mediated inhibition of IL-17A secretion is also, as I told you, associated with the STAT3 protein. You inhibit the STAT3 protein with alpha-linolenic acid. That's the precursor. So you don't even need the very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acid from fish oil because you synthesize it. Always remember that in authentic biochemistry, I tell you the authentic science. And so people often suggest that if you take preformed, very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids in the diet, such as icosapentaenoate and docosahexaenoate, that you need those rather than the essential fatty acid, alpha-linolenic acid. And I've been telling you for a long time that that's not necessarily the case because you have the elongation and desaturation reactions that will make those fatty acids de novo endogenously in your tissues. 
So taking the preformed fatty acid would only be necessary, really, if you don't have the component desaturation, elongation reactions to be able to make EPA and DHA um, cognate in your cells. And you do have those uh, the ability to do that. So you don't need to take those in as long as you have the essential fatty acid, the omega-3 essential fatty acid, alpha linolenic acid in your diet. And you get that from green vegetables and you can get that from other sources too. And I also told you that, uh, if you recall from last couple of times I've done biochemistry, that alpha linolenic acid actually inhibits the transcription of inflammatory markers. And what it inhibits is COX-2 it's cyclooxygenase 2, and also quite distant from that in terms of biochemistry, the toll-like receptor 4, which remember reacts with short-chain saturated fatty acids to an induce a pro-inflammatory response. So if you take, uh, if you co-culture those cells I was talking about, those adipose-derived stem cells with obese adipocytes, you co-culture those, and then you enhance the production of those pro-inflammatory markers using a compound called PHA, what you see is a great, with using graded concentrations of alpha linolenic acid of 150 and 100 micromolar, those cells then, when you look at the RNA that's extracted using quantitative PCR, uh, a quantitative RT-PCR, you find that COX-2 and TLR4 expression are tanked. And, uh, and that uh, that means you get less expression of those genes. So you're having a transcriptional effect by using alpha linolenic acid. Again, this was done with a quantitative RT-PCR, and you didn't just look at the fresh transcripts of COX-2 and TLR4. That gene expression was normalized to the TBP uh, uh, mRNA. TBP is a constitutive protein that stands for human TATA binding protein which not only is that a constitutive protein, which is stable in terms of expression, it's actually even resistant to epigenetic fluctuations in chromatin. That's a really good choice to have as a normalizing protein. So if you do ratios of those, uh, you can determine how ALA is controlling transcription of that COX-2 uh, and that TLR4. And that's a really important, great component of this paper that was published. Remember, uh, this paper is... Uh, published in Molecular Nutrition and Food Research, Volume 63, Issue 11, and it was first published back in March of this year, 2019. And that's the paper we've been talking about. All right. So basically what we can say now is that alpha-linolenic acid inhibits ICAM expression on both adipose stem cells and monocytes, and it decreases the formation of cell aggregates between monocytes and those adipose stem cells. And that's a really important feature of what I want you to understand here. We're going to stop here and we're going to uh, uh, get back to a final discussion of these omega-3 fatty acids and anti-inflammation on the last of this four-part series in authentic biochemistry, where omega-3 fatty acids seem to have an authentic anti-inflammatory response to the TH17A level which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine come from TH17 cells that are associated with adipose tissue in obese humans, okay? So really important clinical find. Uh, what I'm going to say now, this is Dr. Dan Guerra signing off from Authentic Biochemistry. Bye for now. <laughs>